Before we get started in today's show, I want to tell you about Stamps.com, longtime sponsor of the BS Report. It's quick. It's convenient. More importantly, it's really, really easy to use. You do not have to go to the post office anymore. You can just stay home. Make your own office, your personal post office. You can avoid lines. You can avoid just standing there as somebody mails some package, some 79-year-old lady. Who needs that? Make your own mailing and shipping from your house. Stamps.com. Put in the top right of the site, BS. You'll get a deal and a scale and a whole bunch of other things. It's a great product. Uh, You can buy and print official U.S. postage using your computer and printer. Stamps.com will give you a digital scale. It will automatically calculate the exact postage for any letter, any package. They'll even help you choose the best class of mail. Wow. Why go to the post office? Just give it to the postman. Stamps.com. Check it out. The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report, taping this on a Monday. Bill Don't Lie will be coming later in the week. We are moving it because we had a big, 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 big fight weekend and uh, a lot of talk. And weirdly, talk about somebody that wasn't even in the fight in Manny Pacquiao's entourage, Jimmy Kimmel. He is on the phone right now with Cousin Sal. They're both in his office on two separate phones because ESPN makes $6 billion and we cannot figure out how to have two guys on the phone at the same time. How are you? Good. We literally are sitting right next to each other on two phones. It's great. It's like 2008 all over again. Um, all right. So first of all, you kept this a secret, which I was proud of. Right? Yeah. Well, kind of. I guess we kept the official announcement a secret, and you know, I really, I wasn't sure it was going to happen. You know, for those who didn't see it, when Manny was on our show, I asked if I could be his Justin Bieber, if I could be a part of his his camp, and and he said yes. And then after the show, they said, yeah, yeah, we'd like to do this. But I really thought that by fight time, somebody would have said, okay, no, this is, this is ridiculous. This is a, a serious uh, event, and this is not going to happen. And then I would be kind of pushed to the side, as I typically am. But um, sure enough, I uh, was escorted from my, my seats, and they brought me back about 45 minutes before the fight and into a room where Manny's family was gathered, and then the police came in and cleared everyone out. They, actually, the police said, uh, I'm going to tell, I'm going to ask everyone to leave right now, and then next time uh, you will leave in handcuffs. <laughs> and, wow. Uh, and they limited it to four people because apparently the uh, it had to be an even number of people on each side for each camp, and um, I was one of the four people. What? So yeah. is you, you, Freddie Roach, and who is the other person? His assistant oh. trainer, his cut man, and me. Wow. And where was Sal during all this? Just having a heart attack? I was in my seat. Yeah. Yeah. We were in the seat. Jimmy got us there early. and uh, Well, Jimmy's <laughs> always early. Of course. But we were in our seats probably like at six. And uh, our agent, James Baby Doll Dixon, was not happy. Took about 17 cigarette breaks between, uh, between <laughs> six and uh, the third round. Sal was very busy in his seat dumping popcorn and uh, orange drink all over Dixon's seat. Yeah, it had to be done. <laughs> you you were there at six o'clock for a fight well, in Vegas. All well, the celebrities were. Oh, I, no, no, no. <laughs> I, listen, these tickets were very expensive. I wanted to see the undercard fights. You know, my nightmare was that the fight's over in forty seconds, and you know we just flew out there and spent the fortune to see nothing. So I figured we'd see the undercard. Is that why there were sad pictures of you and the internet just early in the fight, surrounded by empty seats? <laughs> yeah. That is okay. All right. That's yeah. part of the reason. The other part is that you didn't show up after saying you would. No, I never said I would. We I, I said I had that. to play it by ear. That's yeah, we true. definitely have to discuss this. This to me is more interesting than what I think. Well, we'll get your... to it. Okay. We'll get to it. So, right. can we talk about we you? So, for about two weeks, you figured you had a real chance to be in Manny's entourage, and there were a lot of emails sent around back and forth about how you should dress. How did you eventually decide on the uh, Faw Justin Bieber outfit? Well, I just looked at a picture of what Justin Bieber was wearing at the last fight and, and matched it. And unfortunately, everyone, I, I specifically said to our wardrobe guy, I want to make sure people don't think I'm dressing like I'm from Run DMC. And of course, that's what everyone immediately <laughs> thought, that I was dressed right. like Run DMC. But it turns out Justin Bieber dresses like the guy from Run DMC. Right. So there so, you have that. 
you and you kept the same look on your face for the entire like three four minutes, which I was impressed by. Did you practice that in the mirror beforehand? I really didn't know what I was going to do, but I was mostly trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you a couple of interesting things. First of all, you know, I'm back there virtually alone with Manny for quite some time. I mean, there was security back there, and there's a lot of – the security is unusually tight. I mean, I don't know what they think might possibly happen, but I'm alone in the locker room with Manny. And, well, first of all, they inspected my – I had a bag as I came in, and in the bag was my Justin Bieber hat. And um, I didn't realize it. Sal, I don't know if you know this, but they go to the bag and they pull out the hat and a big soft pretzel. What? <laughs> Who put the pretzel in my bag? Oh, it wasn't part of the plan. I don't know. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> they started laughing. I was like, I don't know how that got in there. <laughs> so there's a pretzel in the bag. And then I'm sitting there with Manny. And Manny is, you know, this is, he's like, how many minutes to the fight? And they're like, 20 minutes, you know, and, and it's like like 11 minutes, and he's kind of, you know, jumping in place and uh, you know, shadow boxing and just kind of stretching and getting ready. And he says, he says to me, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to stay out of his way because this is a serious thing, and I don't want to distract him. He says, uh, uh, you have your Justin Bieber hat, and I was like, uh, yeah. He said, can I see it? I was like, yeah. So I pull it out of the bag and show it to him, and he cracks up. And we're watching, you know, kind of keeping an eye on the on the goings on on the monitor because they have um, the broadcast uh, happening in the dressing room. And he starts yelling, "Let's get ready to rumble!" I mean, he's in a really good mood. He's, you know, I expected him to be in a solemn, very serious mood, but he's jumping around and fooling around. He's like kind of punching the other the security guards. It seemed like he really was excited to fight, and it seemed like he enjoys it. Right, like he, like if someone. Imagine if you were about to make $60 million. Like, that's how giddy he was. <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, unfortunately, that was the problem with the fight. There was no urgency. Both guys had already been paid, and, and I thought they fought accordingly. I, I never felt like, especially in the last five rounds, as the fight was starting to slip away from Manny. Yeah, but how never, does that differ from any fight you've ever seen? I mean, you know. Well, especially this one, though. They, they just, both of them just seemed kind of happy to be there. And it, and it was very friendly, and it was very congenial, and there it wasn't like a fight of the century where you hated each other. Or, I want to take your title. I want to go down with a better legacy than you. It was just kind of like, hey, we did it. We're here. Hey, we're all going to make money. And the fact that you were in his entourage coming out kind of epitomizes that, right? If this is the biggest fight of his life, why are you there? Oh my god! No, yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I think this is a very cynical way of looking. I mean, the <laughs> idea that. They didn't care about winning is uh, one of your more preposterous notions. No, well, you know what I mean. And, and, I'm not and, saying they didn't you know, care you know, about there's winning. There's a hundred million people in the Philippines that he's fighting for that that you know are are, are glued to his his every move. And you know, I, I really think like you know the money is of course these guys get paid a lot of money, but I think that if neither one of those guys were being paid a dollar, they they'd still desperately want to win the fight. If you were. If you were about to host the Emmys for the first time, which you did, and at some point you have like your three or four most trusted people in the office and that's it, and you're locking in, you're zoning into the event, would you have Manny Pacquiao in there? Well, think of it the other way. Like, I think you have to think, would you have somebody who's there specifically for foolishness? And um, and and I can answer that and say, yes, Cousin Sal is there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I I just wanted to make sure he was focused because, you know, I, and maybe this is the case for the De La, De La Hoya Mayweather fight too, and some other ones that were alleged fight of the centuries to some degree. But I just I never felt like it was life or death for either guy, and that was my problem with the fight. I don't think the fans felt it either. Like, what was it like to be in the stands as everyone realized that these guys actually weren't going to go well, all out? Let me just say this: <clears throat> it's weird when you watch it on TV. You're kind of <clears throat> You're like influenced by the judges' scorecards and whatever Lampley and the commentator is saying, and like, all right, that's how you're going to see the fight, and then that sucks. But it also sucks when you're at the fight and <clears throat> it's ninety ten Pacquiao. So when the guy sneezes, it's the place erupts. So right, you get like a different a feel of what, what the fight should be. Like I, we we were sitting there, we thought it was closer, like based on that, and I don't know. I, I picked sixteen one sixteen one twelve on Sports Center, but. I, did did it really seem like he ran with the last six rounds? Like you should have had that three three after six, and then he just blew him out. 
I, I had it 3-2-1. There was one round where it was like nobody did anything. It's, I don't even know how you score those. But th- that's but, the thing. Like five of the first eight rounds, you're like, who wins those rounds? You can't really. And no one right. gives score tied rounds. Like they just don't. But it's nice to say you had a tie round, but is it going to be Two one four after seven, like no no one's going to score it like that. Right. It, well, that's I thought it was three two, and then that sixth round, whatever, whichever one was the weird round, could have gone to either guy. Mm-hmm. So it was like, all right, this is getting interesting. And then from there, it's just Floyd seemed to pull away. Yeah, the idea that we even break boxing down by rounds is kind of uh, uh, you know they shouldn't be given equal weight. It's like if you broke baseball games down by the inning, it's right. dumb. At the end of the, the the game, you want to know who has the most point or most runs, you know. Or in this case, you want to know who, you know, who who beat the other guy. So I just the, thought that some of the rounds that Manny won, he won more decisively than most decisively than than the rounds that um, that Mayweather won. So you thought it was ninety ten in the arena for Manny? Oh, yeah. Yes. Interesting. I wonder like how much all the domestic violence stuff over the last couple of weeks swung that. Like I do feel like Manny was going to be the fan favorite going into it, but by the time the fight actually happened, it was like Clubber Lang had come to life and you know, e- even at the end when Floyd was standing on the on the ring just kind of glaring at everybody. I mean, I, I can't remember. So was is he the number one villain that you can remember in your lifetime now for well, boxing? Well, I was saying that, and when we had to decide if we're going to bet on it, because we both like Floyd, but we're like, you know, let's stay away, because this is as good, this is as close to good versus evil as you get, I think, you know? At least right. it's set up that way. And it really, I don't know, and, and looking down the road, it's not nothing like that. We don't have like the Prince Nazim, but we don't have like the Macho, you don't have the guys you can hate anymore. The Klitschko brothers, you know, they, they've been, Vlad's been mowing down the competition for a decade and can't get a pay-per-view fight. So this meant a lot to boxing, and I, I, I feel bad that it ended this way. Almost maybe a third-round knockout would have been more impressive to everyone, even though I do think they both tried. So I don't know what the answer is, really. You know, one thing about you guys getting there super early is you avoided what was apparently the all-time logjam in the history of McCarran Airport with all the, uh, we all got the planes it on the way in. back. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. got it on the way back? Oh, yeah. Was it? What, tell me about that weird celebrity tunnel that everybody goes in and out of, and then at the end of the fight, you're going through that tunnel, and it's basically like every A-list celebrity in the world is in that tunnel for It was minutes. weird. Like There were people who weren't famous who entered that tunnel and came out famous. <laughs> That's how many celebrities were in there. Who were, who were you near? Who What celebrities were near you as you were leaving? I sat next to Dave Chappelle and... Um, uh, Rupert Murdoch and Bradley Cooper were sitting right in front of me. I thought I thought Bradley was there with his grandpa, <laughs> <laughs> and it was Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, then I realized it was Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> who who else did you see? Was there anybody that was there that that uh, maybe we didn't see on TV? I mean, all the usuals were there, like Magic, Barkley, Denzel, all those. You would have loved. So here's why you should have come. To oh, you would you you would have been in heaven. That 15 is... minute stretch at the end of the fight. First of all, we were ushered from our seats. Uh, in the 12th round. By Usher. Yes, by Usher. That's all you need to know. No, but there, some guy, so it's the 12th round, and Jimmy was unaffected, but it was the rest of us um, for Jimmy's entourage, and he's like, you got to get out now or you're never going to get back. You're never going to get out of here. So we're like, all right. We follow him but while trying to watch the 12th round, and we're led to this tunnel, and there's like 30 different ushers like this bringing celebrity groups through, and it's a log jam. It's like Robert De Niro and Nicki Minaj are like, nose to nose trying to get through this tunnel and they're screaming and uh and, and michael jordan's walking through and um john void is harassing him like you uh, you would have been in such heaven like that that was the craziest part of all but, they, and they made these guys miss the 12th round yeah that's where i wonder what the reason is for that we were be- remember at the end of rocky where you could barely hear the decision like, like right. oh man i don't know who won it like you really have to get close to the tv like that's kind of how it was because they're pulling everyone out the last minute wow so, yeah. what time did you actually get out of there? Um, well, it was quite a melee. Getting there wasn't much of an exit plan. It was a little bit. It was a little bit crazy um, egg, leaving. I'm not sure what time it was, but it wasn't long after the fight. So there was time to do stuff. Of, he signed a lot of autographs. Oh, it was more photographs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was time to do stuff. Yeah, then we went to dinner afterwards. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, you missed I, the dinner. You missed it. We went with, uh, again, another mistake on your part. We went with Larry Bird and um, Riggins' girlfriend from Friday Night Lights. <laughs> you, did, you did not. Yeah, we did. You're they're, making they're that together up. Now. Yeah. 
You guys realize that I ended up staying in LA and going to like one of the best eight game sevens in the history of professional basketball. Yeah, right? the Clippers. Like, I, I'm not. I'm not really like crying, crying uh, tears right now. Let me just this... ask you right now. A decade from now, yeah, they're gonna ask. They're gonna ask us like, "Oh wow, you were at the uh, the, the sporting event with the greatest celebrity attraction ever, featuring the two most popular fighters of the century." And and we'll say yes. And we'll say you were there too, Simmons. And you'll be like, "No, I was at uh, Game Seven, Clippers Spurs." And they're like, "Oh, is that the year Spurs, the Clippers won the championship?" Like. No, they got swept by Houston, who then got swept by Golden State, who got swept by the Cavaliers. But it was still a really big game. Right? This is round one, game seven. Who cares? That's a solid point. I mean, it could have been Tim Duncan's last game ever. Oh, wow. You won't want to miss that. <laughs> oh, come on. It's like the sixth best player ever. Game ever. <laughs> and the funny part is it won't. <laughs> you, guys, you guys just don't like basketball. It's not that we don't like basketball, and it's not even about the boxing. It's just that we know how much you love being around all these celebrities. Yes. Well, it was from the event, I, I do enjoy the comedy aspect. I definitely would have enjoyed De Niro and Nicki Minaj in a tunnel, trapped okay, next gonna, to each other. Now I'm going to tell you something that's really going to make you wish you'd come. Okay, because I'm still not there yet. Okay, this is this is. I'm going to let you decide at the end whether you made a mistake or not. So, um, for those who aren't familiar, uh, our mutual agent is a gentleman named James Baby Doll Dixon. Uh, recently sold his company to uh, William Morris Endeavor, a big agency, and he, he apparently we, we have no idea how much money he made, but it's a tremendous amount. Whatever Sal, the amount is, Sal has spent the last four months trying to find out the number and can't. Can we? We turned on the heat. We turned the heat up in a big way on him in the hours leading up to the fight. On the flight over, um, in, in the car to the hotel, at the hotel, we were really working him very hard to find out how much he got, how much William Morris Endeavor paid him for this company. And uh, not long after we get into the fight, I sit down. My son's sitting next to me, and who's sitting next to my son? But Ari Emanuel, the man who actually paid James Baby Doll Dixon for the company. Oh, wow. And now I wave Dixon over, I bring him over, and I start screaming at Ari. How much did you pay him for the thing? He's like, we have a non-disclosure agreement. I'm running him through the ringer. We have a non-disclosure contract. I said, I have a lot of contracts, too. How much did you pay him for the thing? Baby Doll was dying of embarrassment. Uh, see, that? now I have real regrets. Yeah. I have that. We uh, the, he insulted an Armenian uh, 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 Uber driver, not an Uber driver. <laughs> driver was he? Uh, there's a lot of good stuff you missed. Our friend Daniel um, claimed that he could have had sex with Minnie Driver or Julia Julia Roberts uh, back in the Letterman days. So you missed so much good stuff. But don't repeat that last thing. <laughs> well, we're not recording this. Uh, so, was there blackjack? There was. Yes, yeah, there was. There was blackjack. Yeah. That part wasn't that good. Well, <laughs> do you guys give me any leeway? Because it was my daughter's 10th birthday, and, and she took it very personally that I was going to Well, you leave. know what? You're no longer the sports guy. You're the kid's birthday party guy. That's yeah. All. That's what you have to call oh, yourself. That's harder to pull, it's harder to pull off, and I don't have the URL yet. Let me ask you a quick question, Bill. What did yeah. you do on your 10th birthday? Oh, that's a great question. 1979? <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. Exactly. Exactly. Can that you guys your remember? Daughter's memory of this event. Yeah, but you know, you know how it goes. You know how you know how guilt trippy and and just you know how they get. Did you Sal take will never know because he had all sons. <laughs> did you take her to the game? I did not. <laughs> so wait a minute. So you with her? The game started at five. You left for that game. What time? You start thinking about leaving for the game. She was on her own for three and a half hours. We spent the whole day together. <laughs> That's crazy. We went to Catalina and ziplined. It was great. <laughs> oh boy! Made it back in time. It was it was it was a great day. Oh, I don't no, have man. a lot of regrets except for the baby doll uh, Dixon. Did you, what about the, the video you sent me and that I sent the comment I sent back? Oh yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> I still need to debate whether I'm putting that on YouTube or not. Oh, um, I think you should definitely put that on YouTube. So did you, so you stayed the night and you left in the morning? Yeah. And do you consider? It felt like a genuine success uh, 
over the like I read pieces where there were winners and losers from the fight and basically everybody was a loser except for three people and Jimmy Kimmel was one of the winners me and the Burger King I, uh, by the way they found out I just read this, they, uh, they found out Fallon was in the Burger King costume <laughs> oh no yeah is that right yeah <laughs> who found that out I don't know we can't win <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, it was, it's kind of disheartening, really, for all the things that you do and all the things you work on. You know, you host the Emmys or the ESPYs or whatever, and you do weeks and months of prep, and then uh, you get so much credit for walking behind someone <laughs> with a hat on. Just like Justin Bieber, DMC. <laughs> do you think that was the most people that have ever seen you? Um, no. I don't How many think people so. watch the Emmys? I've been on the Super Bowl broadcasts. I mean, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. How how late in the pregame though? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I've been on right before. I used to work at Fox Sports, so you know, in the old days. Because I don't know exactly how many people watched that fight, but if like four million people bought it, but I don't know what the average of people in a room was. Right. It had to have been over twenty million. Yeah, definitely. I'm guessing. Are you including yeah, probably, yourself? I don't. You watched, right? I did. I I actually, and Sal, you know this because you've seen all the Floyd fights. Floyd hits that point where the other guy kind of starts to lose the will to live around yeah. like the seventh eighth round, and it was and it just happened. And Manny just he tried everything he could try, and it just wasn't happening. And, the, well, and he's too slick. And if Manny's yeah. not going to get points for glancing Floyd while he's backtracking, it's just not going to happen. It's just you know. Too slick. Too slick. I like the excuse though. After that, he that his shoulder hurt, and they wouldn't give him a shot. Well, that's the only shot that there's a rematch, right? How much they play off the shoulder injury? Yeah, because it certainly his shoulder seemed fine. I'd never heard anything about the shoulder. He was. Still I don't know. How his shoulder look in the dressing room, Jimmy? <laughs> it was rounded. It looked like the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Does it? When you were walking out of the tunnel with him, what was what was like the sound like? What did it feel like? To oh, do that? that was. Crazy. I mean, it was really like I felt like I was being um, devoured by a dragon. <laughs> it was so loud, and then it got so much louder as soon as we got into the arena. But it was pretty crazy because everyone's hanging over the side and and screaming and, and going nuts, and then like reacting to the fact that I'm there, <laughs> which I think they were surprised by. But it was it was pretty crazy. And I, I was trying to hang back because I thought, you know, I was like, you know, Freddie Roach should be behind him. And, and you know, it, it, it just didn't seem like right that I'd be right there on camera. And at a certain point, man, he stopped. We stopped marching out. He said something to somebody. And then the person said, hey, he wants you right behind him. <laughs> wow. And then then there was like a selfie. There was a whole stop for a selfie that it seemed like he wanted you in the selfie. Well, I, yeah, I didn't, you know, Freddie took that selfie, so I really yeah. didn't know what was going on at that point. So you lo you love Manny after this? I loved him beforehand, and I got to tell you something. You talk to all those security guys, which I was uh, backstage, and boy, do they they all love Manny and his camp, and they hate Floyd and his camp. Uh, and, to, I mean, every single one of them, every cop back there, Every security guy, I mean, they really, you know, people, the people rooting for Manny the most were the people in the security jackets backstage. So you think Uncle Frank would have had some thoughts? <laughs> Undoubtedly. <laughs> he, he, he would have, Sal, do Uncle Frank telling everybody why he's rooting for Manny. Floyd is a creep. He's nothing like the cops I grew up with back in New York. And he's a creep. Tell them to keep walking. I don't know. I don't know what he said. What would he say? He would say he was a creep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would call him a repeated creep. Oh well. All right. Well, this was this. Uh, I don't know. I still, I still don't regret missing Game Seven. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Was it just the ball busting that went on alone. You missed so, so, so very much on this trip. Yeah, but I was probably not being there. I was probably the number one target of the ball busting. No, 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 no. We no. barely mentioned you. you oh, were, no. That's was, even worse. That makes exist. me feel worse. <laughs> baby doll, here's something you're going to miss. We uh, decided who baby dolls, our, dick, our uh, agent pallbearers are going to be. So, And you didn't make the cut because you weren't there. Really? I didn't make it either. Uh, it's uh, Jimmy, uh, John Stewart, Colbert, Carson Daly, baby's brother. And then there's a sixth spot open. We're thinking of doing a reality show. Carson Daly? 
Yeah. How did Carson Daly get in there? Carson's his favorite. You have to. You don't realize that, but he's that's his just because of favorite. golf. That's that, that's not a real reason. It's just because he likes playing golf with him. Well, he loves everything about him. Did Corolla not make it? Because because for all the obvious reasons, <laughs> Corolla has a gig that night. <laughs> he wouldn't show up. Corolla has a Mangria perform uh, appearance scheduled on the day Dixon passes away. <laughs> Do, and what was the reason Corolla had for not going? He had to, to the read fight? his book on tape. It's the funniest reason ever. That's really the reason? Yeah. yeah. He had to read his book on tape? He yeah. couldn't come because he has to read aloud. <laughs> he had to learn to read and then read the book on tape. The whole process. Uh, hey, last thing since you're here, Kimmel. You have, you have shows. You have four shows this week, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Letterman had that, that New York Times interview. It was really enlightening, and you and I grew up loving Letterman, and I would I would put us in the top percentile of, of people that have nerded out over him and knew a ton about him and all yeah. that stuff. Um, what was like the number one thing you learned from that piece, other than the fact that you and Jimmy Fallon ruined his ruined his will to continue doing the show and, and the, the blood on your hands? Thing, I think. Yeah. The thing that I thought was most notable and the thing that seems to be getting the least attention is that he is open to continuing to be on television after he retires from the show. That's yeah, that Jane Polly, the Jane Polly analogy, man. Yeah, I think I would have thought he'd, you know, he'd pull a Johnny Carson and we'd never hear from him again. The way that Jane Polly thing was said was like, it, to him, it almost seemed like, now that's a good way for the next stage of my career to go. I see Jane Pauly. I could do that. Like It did make me think his wheels were turning. Now I don't know what to expect. I, I I'm with you. I thought we'd never see him again. I read that and I laughed. I thought he was kidding. Are you serious? Dead serious about that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think Jane Pauly better watch out. <laughs> well, the one thing with him, I, I can't see him on cable for whatever reason. He's just, he's just so old school. I just see him like feeling if he wasn't on NBC, ABC, or CBS, then it wouldn't be worth doing. Yeah, you're so, probably right. But who knows? I don't know what that leaves. PBS, I could see him on something like that. Yeah, do you think he would do like one hour interview shows? I don't know. I, I I was shocked that he would do anything. Yeah, me too. He's made a lot of money. Yeah, he's made hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> Have you corresponded with him as his end date gets near? Well, I mean, does, does setting my DVR to tape his shows count as corresponding? If so, yes, we speak nightly. <laughs> no, but you, I mean, you're prone to send letters and long emails and things like that. Have you done that? No, I, I, I figure I'll leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh... I, I, it's hard to believe. It's coming up. It's not a lot of fanfare either, it feels like. It feels like he's kind of, I don't know. Yeah, you know what it means, and I know to young, younger guys it doesn't, doesn't mean a whole lot, but you have to remember something. is uh, Here's how it goes. First, um, Johnny retires, then Dave retires, and next is death. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Sal, anything to add? No, just that... Um... If it's announced in the next few days that you're going to be in Hedo Turkoglu's entourage for Game 3, we're not going. <laughs> That's all. That's all I'm saying. I would probably, it, probably everyone in that entourage would be dressed like Jimmy was on Saturday night. <laughs> I'm guessing. Um, oh, and Jimmy, you know I've made Sal uh, bet multiple hockey bets, right? Like he's got, he's got hockey action everywhere. Uh-huh. You aware of this? But what about it? He just has a lot of hockey bets. I just tell him to let me know if we won or how much we owe after at the end of the season. That's not true. You're watching. Yeah. Who You're do watching. you guys have the bulk of the money on? Well, we have we, we we've done really well, but that our big bet is a Tampa Bay Lightning's Blackhawks Stanley Cup Finals, which is looking really good right now. Oh. The Cubs might care one? about hockey yet. Um, yeah. You might care about hockey yet. All right, guys. Go do your show. Thanks right, for calling bye. in. I appreciate it. Jimmy, congratulations. Uh, I thought that was a 10 out of 10 for how it could have gone. It was Thank really you. good. I Thank enjoyed you. it. I'm sorry I missed it. God Talk bless. to you soon. All right. Bye. Good job by you. Good job by you. All right. Another guy who was in Vegas from Grantland.com, a website that I happen to be involved with. Uh, Brian Curtis, one of the best. How are you? Good, Bill. How are you? Did the fight live up to your expectations? Did it live up to your weirdness expectations? Were you glad you went? Where do you stand after 48 hours? I think the best way to say it is the event lived up to my expectations, even if the fight didn't quite, because just being in the arena, um, 
hearing the weird energy of that whole place, which is a really small kind of cool arena to watch a fight like that in. Yeah. Um, that definitely lived up to expectations. Absolutely. Yeah. It is something else to be in there in person. Like the first time you're always going to remember your first time you went to a big Vegas fight. I feel like I think absolutely. I, I had Lennox Lewis versus rock mom, but I was way in the nosebleeds. And then the first time I had decent seats was the, uh, Mayweather Ricky Hatton fight for you. You, I mean, I don't know if this was luck of the draw or they were huge fans of yours or what was going on, but you had great seats, right? It was crazy. Yeah, it was on the floor. I mean, I think the weirdest moment of the night was I heard this commotion behind me and I turned around and Magic Johnson and Jesse Jackson were being seated two rows behind me. Wow. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's less a reflection on me than just how insane that ticket was. Like Magic got crappy seats for magic you know like he was kind of he was he was kind of like off the floor and in the in the bottom of the riser section and how many like, writers oh, wow. how many writers were that close to the ring was that i mean they were spread out a little bit right yeah i mean a whole bunch you know 50 maybe more yeah Hard so when you're count. when you're watching that close are you scoring the fight like are you looking around because the piece that you wrote which was excellent for us which went up today actually on Greatland, was about really the whole weekend and the scope of it and some of the media stuff and a whole bunch of other things. So what are you, what are you watching as the fight's happening? Trying to, yeah, trying to score the fight and trying to see stuff that you can't see on TV, you know, trying to look into the corners as much as I can and trying to just listen to people in the, in the arena, you know, cause it's always to me like you, one thing you miss on TV is you miss, you miss stuff in the crowd, you know? And right. I thought the crowd in this fight was incredibly important. One, have you ever seen a neutral site sporting event uh, that was like 95-5 one way? Right. I mean, that was crazy, right? And I think it like had actually a huge impact because you heard Floyd after the fight say that the reason his dad was yelling at him in the corner was because his dad either mistakenly thought Manny was winning the fight because of the way the crowd was reacting or that the judges were thought Manny was winning the fight because of the way the crowd was reacting. Yeah. And, and then and, Ma- in, yeah, and Manny after the fight said the opposite, right? He said he thought he was comfortably ahead. And I sort of wondered if he, you know, got put to sleep by the crowd as well. Yeah. Cause on TV, Floyd clearly won, but we, oh, we just yeah. had Jimmy and sour just on. And they were saying like, it was so hard to tell who was winning because the crowd was reacting to every single thing Manny did. And not selling, almost it turns into wrestling where the crowd's selling one guy and not selling the other guy. The only time I can remember, I mean, I'm sure there are other times, but the most famous example I can remember of the crowd actually swinging a close fight was Hagler Leonard. I do feel like Mm. the crowd, the way they reacted to all the Leonard everything actually played a difference in the decision. I I think in this case, it was so clear who won. It wasn't going to play that big of a difference. But at the same time, so you're there and you're thinking, wow, this is tighter than I thought. Manny's doing okay, and you're not even seeing how one-sided it was. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I think I wrote this. It occurred to me in the eighth round, really, because yeah. Manny wins the fourth, right? That's when he lands a huge left, yep. which which is an exciting moment, because that's like, you know, I think with this fight, basically everybody, everybody, if they thought about it long enough, thought Floyd's just going to outbox him and win the fight. Right, and he's going to win. Yeah. He's going to win a decision. That's that was the that was your standard prediction, right? And so you needed those moments where you could imagine anything was possible. We could imagine Manny winning, and I think that that shot in the fourth, and then he won the sixth on all three cards. Yep. And he was like up, you know, he was down two rounds to four rounds to two at that point. But you sort of imagine, and then Floyd came out and he won the seventh and he won the eighth again on all three cards, as it turned out. And to me, that was the moment where it was like, okay, this is over. You know, there's just there's just no chance. And Manny was also really visibly running out of gas at that point and, you know, wasn't really being aggressive anymore. He was, he was kind of walking around, but he wasn't throwing a lot of punches, you know. And that's when I that's, that's when I do that, even with the crowd. And you know what? The crowd shut up in the 7th and 8th. So that, I think that's when I started hearing the, the uh, Floyd hecklers in the audience who were just heckling Manny because that everything was silent and you could make out exactly what they were saying. Yeah, Floyd, Sal and I just talked about this. Floyd has a way, this is his how his career has gone, of just sucking the life out of his opponent and all the people rooting for that appointment, uh, opponent by the eighth, ninth round, where it's just, it's almost like it's a chess match and the opponent just runs out of pieces and he's like, ah, I just got pawns. I don't know what else to do. And then there's four <laughs> more rounds to go. And you could feel that 
in the moment. I the thing is, and I Jimmy and Sal disagreed with me, and I still think I'm right on this. I don't feel like there was the right amount of urgency for Manny, and I think that's because of how much money they were both guaranteed. I think this just happens in boxing sometimes. There, there felt like it just felt a little happy to be there ish for 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 Manny's side and from Floyd's side. I don't think he ever doubted for a second that he was much better than Manny and that he was going to beat him. And and it just felt it felt like a, for lack of a better word, a friendly fight. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. I completely agree with you. And, you know, you don't want to read into the body language stuff too much, but when a guy comes out just smiling and uh, you know, totally, totally, as you say, happy to be there, when he thanked Floyd at the weigh-in, which was yeah. one of the more bizarre moments I've ever seen. And to me, even after the fight, you know, he's he's lost. He, you know, it was not a close fight at all. He's walking back, and he's you know, huge smile on his face, high fiving fans. Um, you know, and I'm just kind of like, I mean, to me. Manny has entered this phase where he just wants to receive love, you know, and also give love. And that's just kind of what he seemed, you know, what he likes to do. And as long as, you know, I mean, to me, you know, he may have, he may have thought, Hey, like the crowd loved me tonight, you know, so mission accomplished. Right. Right. I came out, got huge cheers, gave it a go. And that's enough. But no, I, I, I completely agree. Well, I did then, not see that urgency at all. You compare it to the last Marquez fight, which those guys had, you know, a really good rivalry. I don't. I don't think there was a lot of love lost, as they'd say. Uh, or, or did I even say that right? I don't even know. But you know what I mean. Um, I so. And then Marquez comes out. He's just cartoonishly enhanced, shall we say? And Manny's life is in danger with this guy. How how bulked up the other guy is. And it was not smiling. Hey, Jimmy Kimmel beat my entourage, Manny, that night. That was. I'm in a real fight, and you know my life is at risk. And as it turned out, he got knocked out. This one. Right. This one really felt to me like a glorified ex- exhibition. And in the fourth round, you know, Manny got the great left in. There were a couple flurries, but I never felt like either guy was in any danger. And I, I wonder if Floyd's just a genius who knows how to just pick his opponents perfectly and knows exactly who to pick and at what point in their career to pick them. You know, and that's just how it goes with him. He's just, he doesn't, he's going to leave boxing with the most brain cells any champion has ever left boxing with, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, and also knows how to adjust to them over the course of a fight. Right. Because yeah. he was clearly frustrated at the end of the fourth. I'm sure it's not TV, but he threw his hands down and screamed at the end of that round because yep. he knew he made a mistake. And, you know, basically again, Manny wins the six, but he doesn't really make a big mistake after that. And, you know, that I just like eighth, ninth round, I've, we've seen this fight before, right? Yeah. We've seen this. We've seen this. You just get this familiarity. Like, I've seen this. I know exactly what's going to happen. And sure enough, it did. Well, a couple of things were going on uh, these last couple of weeks that had to do with this fight that were in your wheelhouse. Um, I, I think you're the best media writer of anyone in the country for big picture media stuff and how they relate, in your case, mostly to sports. But, um, but then also just the general kind of kind of you sniff out where angles are going what motivations are agendas things like that and the domestic violence stuff that was really going for two three months here with floyd and he was slowly turning into the biggest sports villain of uh of this generation and then it kept cresting and it kept cresting and it kept cresting and it kept going up a level and then just when you think like man there is no skin left on this bone. People have picked it apart every which way they can. Then he denies Beetle and Rachel Nichols in what had to have been one of the most tone-deaf moments in sports history. What was the mood like in Vegas after that happened? Yeah, that's totally incredible. I mean, for one thing, everybody, every media person who covered the fight was standing in line for credentials when they found out that Beetle and Nichols had been denied credentials. <laughs> Weird thing to say the least. Credential window opened at nine o'clock. About twenty minutes later, while everybody's stuck in line, they tweet out that they've been that they're not going to cover the fight. That they've been told they're not they can't cover the fight. And it was just complete shock among media people because I think for one thing you have a lot of people to fight like this right who don't cover a lot of boxing. Yeah, and don't aren't used to being jerked around like that. 
And then you have a boxing press that gets jerked around all the time, but isn't, you know, it goes, oh, wow. Not only did they do it, not only did they do it in the most toned up way possible, they did it to two high profile TV people, right? This isn't, you know, some print person where, every, you know, where he gets a couple, you know, 20 people on Twitter get mad and then everybody forgets about it. These people are on television, you know? Yeah. We usually, you know, do, you know, get what they want at events like this. So it was incredible. I was also just, by the way, just in Department of suspic- Completely Suspicious Timing, I was reminded of at the Super Bowl when we completely run out of things to talk about, and then Marshawn Lynch puts on his show, and all of a sudden there's programming for three days. Um, oh, so you, you think know, maybe maybe a little bit intentional, the timing? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but, you know, look, so on that morning there was nothing else to talk about, right? And then all yeah. of a sudden we had hours and hours of Twitter outrage built up the character again. Again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's why they did it, but if for whatever reason it absolutely served the purpose of building the villain character and hyping up the fight even more. Well, it's not like people could hate Floyd anymore. It wasn't like <laughs> he wasn't risking anything at that point. Why not? Uh, yeah. it, it reminded me a little of, look, you know me, I love conspiracy theories and I'm not saying I'm right, but I can't, hi- <laughs> I can't hide how I feel. Um, the whole deflate gate thing. When you look back at how that played out, the day after the Colts Patriots game, heading into this two week Super Bowl stretch where Goodell and Ray Rice and domestic violence and Greg Hardy and all these really negative NFL themes were about to take center stage for two weeks, and all of a sudden we have Deflate Gate literally happen right as this whole thing's starting, and nobody talks about anything else other than Deflate Gate for that first week. Am I wrong to think that there's a little conspiracy theory potential there? Yeah, well, remember when Deflategate ran out of gas, that's when Marshawn Gate began. It mm. was literally like it was within a 24-hour period. And then, you know, we were having deep conversations about the media and sports and, and great visuals and all that kind of stuff. No, I, I don't know if it's a conspiracy or not, but it's, it's amazing timing. And all, like I said, I think Deflategate, like this, only enhances the villainy. You know, look, we're talking about completely different kinds of villainy here, right? There's no not comparing Bill Belichick and Floyd no. Mayweather at all. But it does... Draw the you know it does enhance the storyline that has already comes with the event for sure. How so? Let's say May. Let's say this entire Mayweather Pacquiao thing happens in two thousand eight before Twitter, before everybody really got their A game going with sharing information and finding out information and just all the stuff that that helps us follow sports maybe a little too closely sometimes in two thousand fifteen. How does this fight unfold in 2008 before all the stuff we have now? The media stuff or the fight itself? The media stuff. With Nichols and Beetle? Just I everything. Think that just all I, the Floyd domestic violence stuff, all of it. Yeah, I think, I think there would have been a lot. I think there would have been a lot less coverage of the domestic violence stuff. Not because the media was, the people in the media were any, you know, I just think this stuff gets much more, as you say, it's passed around on Twitter. Uh, much more efficiently now, you know, yeah. somebody, somebody can decide to make a cause of it. And, you know, before, you know, you just, somebody makes a cause of it and that's great. And people nod and say, I'm glad you brought this up, but it doesn't get to kind of just, it's not everywhere. And, right. like, you know, you look now it's everywhere, you know, and it becomes the story, right? Like yeah. it, becomes, it overshadows the boxing and the sports. And I think, I think that's totally different now than it would have been five years ago. Yeah. It, 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 the extremes are so high and so low now, and it's almost like there's no in between and there's no nuances. And I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing for this Floyd thing, but it's just everything is hysterical one way or the other. And this Floyd thing is the perfect storm in that because you know one of the few things I think all of us can agree on is you know hey domestic violence terrible, <laughs> you know there's no counter argument to take on that, and it's just it just seemed like. It was so hellacious leading up to the six-week... I mean, think about some of the other guys that we've followed in sports over the years. Like, think about Mike Tyson coming out of jail for rape and then right. has two huge big money fights that everybody's just fired up about. I, I mean, I'm not defending that extreme, but it's fascinating to me how much things have changed in 20 years, you know? Totally. And you, you mentioned like the highs and the lows and the caricature is more pronounced now, which I totally agree with. But I also think what this new world allows us to do is remind people of the details yeah. of what these events, what happened, like Louisa Thomas' piece on Grandland last week. You know, 
when you go through, and I think this probably didn't happen with Tyson, but it would now if he were, if he were to come back now, is you would you know get through all the court testimony of that case and find out exactly what he was accused of and exactly what he was convicted of, and put those details in front of people's faces so it's not an abstraction, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, he was, you know, he did X, Y, Z, and just named the crime. No, no, no. Here's what exact. Here's what happened. Here's the testimony. Here is the face of the person involved. And I think that's, you know, that helps us probably understand these issues a lot better than it would back when. Did you? I mean, some people there. There seemed like there was a little. I don't want to say pushback, but there were some people, and even some some celebrities and a couple of media people who. Seem like they kind of drifted into, all right, all right, we get it. We all hate domestic violence. Can we watch the fight now? Can we just concentrate on how great Floyd is? And then that led to its own separate backlash. I mean, the thing the thing that I guess, I don't know if it worried me, but it, it, it just seems like everything gets a backlash now unless you agree with the majority opinion. Did you feel that at all? Yeah, well, I think what you're describing is like the oldest sports fan thing in the world, right? Which is, in theory, we want... We think all these issues are important. We want to know everything about them. We want to hold the people, the perpetrators accountable. And then, but we, the, one of the reasons we like sports is that we can forget about all that stuff for three hours or yeah. two hours. And it's, it's the war inside every sports fan, you know, because you just, and look, you know, I don't think that's right. I'm not endorsing it, but, you know, part of the reason people like sports is they don't think about that stuff. And so when they get, you know, to somebody, you know, pops up on Twitter or whoever and says, oh, why, why are we talking about this? Why can't we have a boxing match? You know, and to me, that's just like, that's mm-hmm. just, that's the war inside everybody's head, you know? And also now we have different writers, right? I mean, like, I think part of the tension of this comes, people say, well, why aren't the boxing writers ever covering this stuff? And a lot of times they are, but then they have to write a fight story, you know? And they're not covering it in that kind of detail in a fight story, Right. And again, that's just like it's these two, you know, things. But there are other people who are covering nothing but, and good for them, nothing but, you know, Floyd's past and stuff like that. So it's just also that there's this tension between different forms, I think, you know, and, and you know, like you said, people they people do. They want to – sports fans, they you know, I think they'll take more of this now than ever. They'll, you know, read these stories and process it and try to get it in their brain and say, I'm going to watch the fight. I admire Floyd as a boxer, but dot, 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 here are all the things that he did. But I also think that they just, you know, sometimes they shut off and they 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 lash they lash out. Yeah, I I tried to write about this on Friday a little bit about, um, you know, that I was still going to watch the fight, and I think the difference with this fight and and part of the reason we had a little bit of a chasm was because I think people who have followed boxing and and watched all these different fights and just been in that world this entire time, so used to having bad people in that world. And so used to all the different morality issues that come with boxing and all the people in it and how many guys have left have been left broke and brain damaged and just not the same. And just, you know, we already felt horrible about even following boxing and liking it. So this right. Floyd thing wasn't exactly a tipping point for every, anybody who's been watching boxing for 40, 50, 60 years. But I think when he, when you have these quote-unquote fight of a lifetimes and people kind of drift in and out of the sport – they're horrified by what they see. So I guess my point is I should be more horrified, but I'm so used to it at this point. I mean, doesn't that sound terrible? Like this is the sport that gave us Mike Tyson. This is the sport that gave us Tony Ayala. And all. I mean, just right. some, some of the worst people we've ever had in sports. And, and I don't know. There's a kind of separate but related question. I wrote about a story about this last year because Donna Stevenson was, was fighting last year. And, you know, and, and which is, which is how, how long, let's say, you know, Donna Stevenson has committed some really horrific crimes, been in jail. And how, you know, how long does the net, is the network uh, or the newspaper writer, you know, bound to bring them up if they don't do anything else, right? Yeah. You know, at some level, does it ever become, okay, you know, the person has, you know, we believe in, you know, the person that has, should have an, another chance in society. And, you know, how long do you bring them up? And I think that's it just, again, these are just a tension within every sports fan and also within every piece when somebody sits down to write a piece. Does this, is this going forward now, domestic violence in sports and the way this stuff's covered? Was the, are we going to look back at the Ray Rice elevator, elevator incident and then the video that came out? 
as one of the most massive tipping points that we can remember socially with sports were that every time now anybody has a domestic violence anything, that's just going to be front and center to whatever sports story is happening? Absolutely. And I think you see it with the Greg Hardy thing, you know. Not only the use of details, you know, again, where we're talking about where, where details, not just the abstraction, but the details of the case are circulated. And, you know, and then, you, of course, you got Roger Goodell, who's very sensitive to the press, <laughs> shall we say, yeah. uh, given what's happened to him over the last year. And so he's going to, you know, punish Hardy as, as much as he can. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it will. I think it'll be a total tipping point. Why don't I mean, I feel like the media is getting smarter and a little more sophisticated with how they can pick stuff apart. Why aren't the people that we're picking apart, why aren't they more sophisticated? Like, how can somebody like Roger Goodell be as tone deaf as he's been the last couple of years? Why isn't he getting better at this? That's a really good question. I don't know. I think probably, I think, you know, I think, I think his problem is, is that he's trying to do what he's trying to do is beyond one person, you know, and, you know, trying to punish, set the appropriate punishment for all manners of things, some of which are actual crimes, some of which are just, you know, uh, small board stuff, some of which are failed drug tests, and he's trying to do it all himself. And it's just, there's no way one person can do that. I don't believe if, you know, if uh, P. Roselle came back to life, or if you had this ideal commissioner that you and I created in a lab, I don't believe any one person could do that right. I think it needs, you know, people, it needs, you know, push-pull, it needs the involvement of the union, it needs all kinds of things. And I just I just think he's way, way, way beyond him. Well, I also think that, you know, like I would say Adam Silver has almost as tough of a job. And I think the difference between those guys is that Adam Silver hasn't done anything to lose our trust in his authority. So if the NBA equivalent of Greg Hardy happened and Adam said, I'm suspending this guy for 50 games. All of us would be like, cool, good job, good work. But Goodell suspends Greg Hardy for 10 games. And my first reaction wasn't good work. That was the right thing to do. It was, oh, man, here we go again. Here's here's Goodell making up some arbitrary uh, suspension that he didn't clear with the players union, who's now upset. They're going to fight it. And somehow Greg Hardy is going to become a quote unquote victim in this whole thing. Just because over and over again, Goodell has just done stuff that went against the CBA and didn't really seem to care. It's like, he's operating in some other world where all these agreements that the, these guys made legally between the league and the players union don't exist. And I think that's the issue. It's like, he's lost my trust. I, I don't, I don't believe in his authority anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think, by the way, there's an actual test case for this, which is Jeffrey Taylor in the NBA. Uh, Jeffrey Taylor uh, was, uh, I believe, um, you know, was punished last, I want to say, September. Right? Oh, yeah, for domestic violence, yeah. Yeah, he was, and he, you know, he got uh, additional games beyond what uh, the CBA called for. There's, there's an argument about whether you know, about how the CBA in that case is interpreted. But Silver gave him, I would, I think, would, would be considered a pretty harsh punishment. And what have you heard about that after? Yeah. Not a thing. Well, Adam bought himself, I would say, two to three years with uh, by what, how well he ended the Clippers thing. He'd have to have multiple mess-ups of a high-scale order before people started wondering if he knew what he was doing. Whereas Goodell... Pretty much from the moment he took over, when he destroyed the Spygate tapes, I don't think he's had two uninterrupted years where people haven't gone, hmm, what's going on? You're you're in Texas, the heart of football, basically. I football. Anyone who says football is, is going to die or go away or whatever you're thinking, I can tell you one place that's not going away is Texas. Everybody's going to be <laughs> fine with football there forever and ever. Um, Dallas just has decided to get weirder and weirder. They got Greg Hardy. They kept Des Bryant. And then they got, who was the guy in the second round that fell 40 spots? Gregory. Yeah, Randy Gregory. They took him. Like, yeah. what are what are people thinking? Like, because people love football there more than anything. But at the same time, like, they, th- he's building the team from Con Air. Like, at some point, you got to start <laughs> take a pause, right? People are, pretty, people are pretty mad about Hardy. I'd say not so much about Des. And not so much about Gregory, which is just Gregory's drug stuff, right? And Des basically had one 
instance where he was he hit his mom, I believe. And other than yeah. that, you know, had a bunch of silly stuff like was wearing baggy pants at the mall and stuff like that. <laughs> right, right. Not a crime last time I checked. But um, he, uh, the Hardy thing has been really, really big. And people are really, really mad. And I think, you know, on, on sports radio, it, it, I think it really surprised the Cowboys. I mean, they did this weird thing where they didn't have a press conference to introduce him because they just didn't want to deal with it, you know, right. which is pretty, pretty cowardly. Like, if you think the guy should play for you and you think you think he should get another chance and you feel, you know, that he's learned something, okay, but you literally won't bring him out in front of the media uh, to, to get questions I mean, that's, or, or let them question you. That's pretty amazing. This was has to be one of the weirdest stretches in the history of Dallas sports, right? They trade for Hamilton, who had every Rangers fan was packing his bags when he left. Rondo yeah. didn't even get a playoff share, and that has to be – I Odom was pretty bad, but I think the way the Rondo thing played out was so much worse for the Mavericks because they actually lost assets, and not to mention <laughs> got killed in the playoffs. And then the Cowboys are getting wonky. Maybe, maybe Dallas is the sports capital of uh, – of dysfunction in a very dysfunctional sports year. I don't know. I don't know how it I would also, gonna... I'd also remind you of Ron Washington's mysterious disappearance last year after leading the franchise to the first two World Series in its history. Oh, yeah. Still, I forgot about that. Still almost completely unexplained in the, anywhere in the official media. Oh, there, there's no, there was no story? Well, he said, you know, that he had uh, had an affair and that he needed to go patch things up with his wife. And that was the reason he left his dream job. So Wow. That's the story that's out there, but as far as I know, again, on non-message you know message board channels, that's where it was left. See, really, what maybe a year. Jason Garrett, Jason, if Jason Garrett left the Cowboys like that, I mean, that's, that's the city would have gone to, I mean, the tornado sirens would have been going off, you know, and it would just been this amazing, but he just, you know, just left, and that was that. Anything happen with the Dallas Stars that I didn't know about? <laughs> we can. I, I, I probably just haven't been paying attention. I just don't follow hockey closely enough. Oh, man. Keep an eye on Tyler Sagan. Early curfew for him. <laughs> <laughs> Keep him out. Well, one of the weirdest uh, – the, the, these last couple weeks were – I thought you did a good job of, of what you wrote that one sentence where you're basically like, if this was the fight of the century, it it definitely left more people feeling worse afterwards than any fight of the century has. Um, I don't know anybody who was happy with that fight or anything about it. I don't, nobody feels good. It almost like you have to take a shower afterwards. That's kind of how I feel. Right. Yeah. And they, they, they like, they, so they brought the fighters. They actually did the press conferences in the arena. They took down the ropes at the table in the ring and the fighters at the press conferences in there, which is really funny. Just just a strange visual, you know? Uh, but, um, you know, so Manny comes out and we start hearing about the shoulder, yeah. which is disappointing either A, you don't believe it, or B, you wish that they just had to fight later, you know, if it really was that bad. You know, maybe you should have just postponed it. Yeah. Um, and then Mayweather comes out and, of course, we're treated, you know, to the rant about how much money he made and you know, Al, uh, Heyman's, you know, business acumen. And and then he had this incredible press rant where he was like, I'm going to read all the stories you guys write tomorrow. Everyone, I have nothing to do tomorrow, so I'm just going to be reading your stories that you write tonight. <laughs> and just can you imagine Jeez. Tom Brady in the locker room after the Super Bowl yelling at all the Boston writers that he was going to be reading what they wrote tomorrow and it better be good? Uh I mean, it was just—it was just remarkable. It was just—you just—it was. I remember just sitting in the stands, and it's just like I just—I was just totally depressed. Like, this is like, there's just nothing. There's nothing joyous about this. There's nothing in, even really that interesting at this point. It's just—you just—it's just everything that's being said on the stage is depressing. Well, I don't know if we have to make it up with you to send you on a better sports trip, or I don't know if, if we should be congratulating ourselves for sending you on the best possible sports trip. I don't know. This is kind of weirdly perfect for the stuff you like to cover. It was certainly a memorable weekend, I would say, right? Absolutely. Let's at least keep it I know, yeah. Don't, please don't interpret any of this as me me uh, whining that I was there. It was no, wild, I, I wasn't wildly at all. Wildly interesting. I, I feel like I, I want to send you to just a normal feel-good sporting event next. Come up yeah. with something. Just something that's nice and black and white and easy and just go and crowd cheers and there's no morality and it's just a fun sporting event. Maybe I'm going to write be, uh, email this afternoon to see if they had the five happiest sporting events in America. Maybe, maybe like uh, – I'll have to think about this. 
the morally we, uncomplicated tour of yeah, maybe American we send, sports. We send you somewhere serene, like uh, some some tennis tournament. Just <laughs> just like Federer, Federer winning like the, some Swiss tournament or something. I don't know. We'll figure. Yeah, it out. Brit- British Open. You know, it seems like it's fairly controversy free. Well, it's Tiger. No, maybe not. We'll keep thinking. Well, Tiger just broke up with his his girlfriend, so I'm prepared for anything on that front. God, God only knows what the next few days could bring us. It's been that kind of year. Brian Curtis, uh, fantastic job for us. Love having you on the site. Love uh, reading your stuff in Vegas, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bill. That's it for the BS Report. We're coming back tomorrow. We're going to have Chuck Klosterman on because we have to catch up with him on a bunch of stuff. And then... The Bill Don't Lie podcast, which is usually Monday's NBA, we are pushing that to the middle of the week. So please don't think I forgot about Bill Don't Lie or I'm trying to disenfranchise you subscribers. It's not not that way. I actually uh, – th- there's real reasons for this. They, it'll come out you'll, – you'll understand by, uh, by midweek why, why I staggered it a certain way. Also, we have a Grantland Basketball Hour on Thursday night on ESPN. Um, because there are no games, because some series ended up early. So make sure you DVR that. We're excited for that show as well. Talk to you soon on the BS Report and on Build Online. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at PodCenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.